Hello and welcome to Inside Retail, the podcast brought to you by Edited, the world's leader in global retail analytics. In this podcast series, we explore both the opportunities and the challenges that the retail industry is facing with myself, Grace Hill, Edited's Director of Retail Strategy. The luxury sector faced major shifts over recent years, from rapid inflation to slowing economic growth, continued COVID lockdowns in China, and the outbreak of war in Ukraine in 2022. Despite these headwinds, sales have never been stronger in the luxury market, with positive growth generated for 95% of luxury brands, according to Bain & Company's 2022 research. Moving into 2023, the market has continued to hit the headlines, with LVMH recently announcing their fashion and leather goods business grew sales by 18% to 10.73 billion euros in Q1 of 2023. There was also the announcement of Louis Vuitton's new men's creative director, Pharrell Williams, China's rebound, and quiet luxury as logo-free fashion has a moment. The strongest brands have each found their own way to seize exploding consumer demand. That's why today we're joined by Federica Lovato, senior partner and the EMEA leader of fashion and luxury at Bain and & Company, and Carlo Moltrazio, associate partner within Bain's luxury and fashion goods vertical. We discussed how luxury brands' value proposition has changed over time and outlined three priority areas for brands to focus their attention on, including the need for agility, localization, and creativity in order to navigate these uncertain times in the decade ahead. So let's get into it. Welcome, Federica, and welcome back, Carlo. How are you both doing today? Very good. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Great. Very excited for today and to be back with you. Yes, well, we are very excited <laughs> to have you back. Um, but what we'd love to do is start with both of you telling our listeners more about your roles at Bain. Sure. I'm Federica Levato. I'm a senior partner at Bain & Company that is a global consulting firm, and I'm the leader of a fashion and luxury vertical in Europe, Middle East and Africa. I have worked in this industry for almost 20 years across different topics that span from corporate strategy to performance improvement to everything in between and beyond. But uh, let me say that uh, product strategy and merchandising specifically is my true passion. So very excited to be discussing this today with you. And uh, glad to be back on the podcast with you, Grace. I'm uh, Carlo Moltrazio, an associate partner uh, that I've been working with Federica for almost uh, 10 years. So I'm uh, delighted to be here today and uh, share some of the key insights that come out of our research. Fantastic. Well, welcome both. So to kick off, I'd love it if you could explain to our listeners, why is it so important to discuss product strategy for luxury brands today? We believe that uh, in an era which is marked by uncertainty in a way, um, being agile is a key lever to be competitive for any company in this sector. And uh, we do believe that such agility necessarily go through uh, the one ability to adjust product strategy, um, among other things. And uh, this can happen by leveraging uh, a comprehensive issue on the assortment strategy that each player has. So why today? Why today is it so important to talk about the evolution of product strategy in the luxury market? Grace, I think that the, uh, the era of uncertainty and the inability to see the future is uh, stronger today than ever. And so 
Federica will comment more in the trends that we see in the fashion and luxury market overall. But in general, we think that uh, right now is the moment to be proactive about the future. And that's why we chose to go into product strategy and merchandising and all of that that we will discuss together today. Absolutely. I feel like we've hit a tipping point in the market. You know, we're kind of post-pandemic, starting to see the markets normalize, but we've got major headwinds as well, which is creating even further uncertainty. So I think it is a fascinating time um, to see how the luxury market responds. How have you seen the soft luxury goods value proposition evolve over recent times? We live in a time in which the concept of mainstream fashion is less and less true, whereas uh, the idea of self-expression has taken precedence. This has, uh, in a way, reduced the scope and visibility of the macro-fashion eras of the past, you know, minimalism, maximalism, in favor of uh, coexisting fashion identities where trends are less about the type of creativity, but more about the pace of some product categories over the others. For example, think about the sneaker phenomenon of the last year not necessarily driven by a single style, but really open to be interpreted within different creative visions. And uh, as a general trend, uh, uh, 2020 catalyzed the normalization of loungewear, which is strongly continued up to now, while 2021 was characterized by the boom of revenge party wear, characterized by the rebirth of high heels and excessive details like paillettes, feathers, embroideries. And how are you seeing the macroeconomic environment impacting luxury specifically? As Federica said, uh, we think that luxury um, reads the zeitgeist on the environment in which it thrives no? at the end of the day. So staying at home, uh, uh, boosted loungewear, going back uh, out favored uh, occasion wear and uh, party wear in a way. And uh, the same holds for macroeconomic cycles, uh, if you think about that. So, so far, we have seen uh, markers of a crisis emerging, especially in some markets. Uh, and we do have, let's say, the first signs that uh, there may be a recession looming on the horizon. And in some markets, this is already very true. And uh, throughout recessions, what we would normally see is uh, a call for a quieter luxury, or at least something which is less visible, no? which instead is very different from a moment in which the market is booming, the economy is booming, and you would see loud uh, luxury coming out in a stronger way. Uh, but the world is a more complex place than that. And so, as Federica was saying, there is not a mainstream understanding of luxury and a non-mainstream understanding of it. And you can have many things coexisting, and you can have loud and quiet being present at the same time. And uh, we think that uh, you will see some markets in which this is stronger and some markets in which this will be softer just because of the economic moment in which we are living. And it'd be really good to understand those nuances that you have seen by market. How did you see the luxury market differ by European geography? Were there any interesting findings in your research? Yeah, on uh, on the regional nuances especially, what we have been seeing is that uh, this market is less and less global and is more and more a multi-local uh, market in a way. And the local understanding on what consumers are demanding and uh, how they are, uh, in a way, calling for a certain kind of luxury and the ability to intercept and understand that kind of demand really makes the difference from a successful strategy in this industry at the moment. And so Asia and US, two different words, but even Europe. After COVID forced us to be local in the way we understand the local consumer base, makes the difference on how do I talk to local consumer and not the tourist one that comes from China, for example. 
what are you seeing driving that demand for localization within luxury specifically? So COVID was a big moment, right, in this market in which people could not travel anymore. And so luxury players had to refocus on the local clientele that they had in each uh, market across the different parts of the globe. And so in the moment in which they refocused on local consumer, they saw that it was a potential in each uh, country and each market, which maybe just a little before was obfuscated and offset by massive tourist flows coming into this country and calling for a more globalized view on the market. And so the fact that the market has been back to a much more local dimension have been calling for a more local understanding and adaptation of the customer base that lives close to you. And I think that ties to my next question about really understanding how brands assortment mix and how their strategy has responded in the face of this demand for um, localization within luxury brands assortments. I think that the question is less about which categories and more about what strategies instead. Successful brands have been very agile to adapt to changing consumer demands, but in consistency with their brand DNA. For example, given the consumer desire for both comfortization on one side and partywear on the other side, top performers were brands that significantly increased these types of products in their offer. This was particularly true of brands who had the DNA legitimacy in these categories. The real difference for top performers was the ability to quickly catch on to the trend and to reflect it in their offer. Brands which has the legitimacy but did not respond to the trend did lose a big chance and lost market share because of it. And obviously, Federica, you just mentioned it's less about the categories and more about the lifestyles and what is required from that consumer. But did you see any new categories emerge within luxury that you didn't see exist pre-2019? So uh, I don't think that COVID crisis created new categories, uh, but uh, differently, players reinterpreted existing categories, uh, giving them uh, a new relevance and a new meeting uh, and uh, even enlarging and enhancing uh, their role. And those categories that were amplified, how do you see that moving forward from 2023 and beyond? Well, we see we see a constant evolution of this market, so it's very difficult to see a farther uh, evolution uh, ahead of times. Uh, again, we go back to strategy matters uh, rather than categories. Uh, so we truly believe that uh, the players that will be able to reinterpret and enhance and enlarge the existing categories through their uh, true DNA uh, will win in this market for sure. So within Edited's own research and data, we identified that in 2022, global average luxury prices were at a four-year high. How are you both seeing luxury brands' pricing strategy evolve over time? And what is the impact of this? So uh, I'm, I may maybe just do a little uh, thought before we answer that question. And uh, I know that we have been discussing with, with Federica for a long time, but uh, we need to be considering that uh, the increase of pricing that we saw in this market is not a direct function of just a price increase. It is also a function of how the collection is structured and what is the mix of product being offered at different price points. And so the most interesting thing that we saw in the last uh, uh, two, three years is that the entry price of luxury did not really move. So it's not about cutting off the starting point of what luxury means, but it's about extending 
what consumers are willing to pay and being able to intercept things and, uh, and price points that uh, maybe yesterday you were not able to really get. And so when we look at price increase, we just need to be very aware of what that means in the assortment strategy of these players and, and how does that work versus the past. So this has been the strategy for a long time at the end of the day. Yeah, and in fact, one of the most interesting elements that we've been discussing with clients is now the strategic imperative to be relevant in a high-low positioning. High is the top part of the offer to accommodate consumers that are more discerning, so ultra-personalization, finest raw materials and crafts. And low is the entry price of the offer, as uh, Carlo was saying, that needs to be able to appeal to a larger audience. Here, creativity and not impoverishment of the product makes the real difference. This effort to be high-low is proven to be a winning one more and more. I thought that was really interesting when I read the research that you shared. And as you said, that there's that maintaining of that entry price point, but there's that lengthening and elongating of that pricing architecture. But one thing that I thought was fascinating was the mix of the price points and the price buckets within the assortment. Is there anything that's interesting that you would add to that and how that has shifted? This is very not uh, linear among uh, categories. So if you to do a comment uh, around that, uh, you should really break down the collection in each of these pieces and see what was the where that category was covering before and how is it covering now, no? And so to give just one example, uh, in sneakers used to be very focused on a kind of price point. And now if you look at the sneaker price distribution, you can see that through personalization, through creativity, through materials, uh, that price point has extended a lot, reaching more than uh, what used to be the roof for that category. So I know from our previous conversations with Diana Lee at the Business of Fashion, they had interviewed high net worth individuals within the US market. And they found that 60% of these high net worth individuals did not view the price increases that happened in 2022 as significant. So do you both think that we've reached a price ceiling in the luxury soft goods market in Europe? This is a very relevant question and not so easy to answer. We believe that uh, in the mindset of the customer, there is a ceiling at a given value delivered. So if the price increase is linked to an increased value of the product that you deliver, then the luxury customer can buy it and can, uh, and can digest it and can pay uh, whatever the price. So there is not a ceiling. Otherwise, uh, if you offer the exact same product at a totally different price, uh, there, there is a true ceiling. I think that speaks to um, the intelligence of the customer and not underestimating their ability to understand value. One thing that I also wanted to touch on is obviously where your research covered the European market. Did you see any interesting nuances by category or even by particular regions within that market? Uh, yeah, no, to uh, to the point you were making before, no, and uh, we were making together on the localization of these uh, luxury markets. Uh, the truth is that, uh, again, we are looking at this as a single market, but in reality, this is a market done by very many categories coexisting under the same name, no? And so you should really break down what means one, uh, let's say, category in one region versus what it means in another region and how does that compare. So to give you an example, no, we have been talking about uh, the sneakerization of uh, um, of the word for a long time, which is absolutely true. But uh, 
in the meaning of uh, of that sentence uh, in Europe or in the US is very different from what it means uh, in Asia, for example, in which high heels have been uh, coexisting and uh, let's say not high heels, but in general heels now have been coexisting and have been uh, thriving uh, even while in the rest of the West, uh, sneakers were taking a faster pace. And so understanding what the local consumer really is looking for and understanding how relevant you can be really do make the difference in the way you choose the assortment that you have in your brand and in your store, on your website, whatever is the channel you're choosing to, to use. And how do you both view the role of technology in supporting luxury brands in really understanding what is the local potential, what is their position in the market, and any strategy shifts that are required? Yeah, so technology plays a crucial role in uh, helping luxury brands understand their position in the market and adjust their strategy real time. Uh, brands can leverage data and analytics to gain insights into customer behavior, trends, and preferences. And this information can be used to inform decisions around value proposition, but also marketing and advertising, but also to see gap and opportunities between their own offer and the ones of competitors. So in our opinion, it's very important for brands to leverage all tech opportunities in the future to ensure reactivity agility and real-time understanding of the competition and the market. I think that speaks really nicely to what we see within our customer base as well. And to that point that you were mentioning of price increase and value and really understanding for that cashmere sweater, what are my competitors offering for that similar product or that like product? Are they seeing that value for money? And to your point earlier, the importance of agility, being able to do that in seconds is, is makes technology so crucial. Where I wanted to pivot to next was the importance of uh, the legitimacy and the brand image. And you had mentioned this within your research being so important. So what do you see the role of discounting in luxury retail in 2023 and beyond? Brand equity is at the core of the industry and discounting is a delicate balancing act for luxury retailers. On one end, discounting is a powerful lever to accelerate inventory rotation and sometimes is a necessary evil on uh, for, for the industry. On the other hand, it does impact brand perception and the ability to build the long-term successful stories on iconic products. Look, Grace, we have seen through the research that there is a clear uh, willingness to reduce the visibility, at least, of discounting no? on online platforms and uh, an increasing attention to make sure that the product representation across the different platforms that you get is equally um, brand protecting and brand um, sustaining uh, in a way. And uh, uh, to give you an example, in the research that we, we will be uh, publishing, uh, we see that uh, the share of products at discount in categories such as uh, women apparel, for example, has moved from 25% of the entire collection being at discount to 10, 15 today in just the span of a two-year gap, no? which has been COVID. And uh, we do believe that... Uh, you know, through COVID, everybody was online and the visibility of that discounted presence was felt throughout the industry and now people are acting upon it. And uh, for some product categories, especially the ones involving sizing and so the footwear or apparel, uh, it's clear that a certain level of discounting will always be vital to make sure that the that inventory rotation really work. But how visible that discounting is? that really can make the difference. And so finding ways which is not putting that out there for everybody to see 
but finding other way to, you know, give a discount, maybe to create loyalty to an existing customer base instead of uh, being a recruiting uh, tool um, will make the difference from a strategic uh, standpoint. I feel the customer loyalty piece is a really interesting mention, Carlo. Could you tell us a little bit more about that and why that's so important to acknowledge? We do believe that the discounting is, uh, again, as Federica said, uh, a necessary evil, but it's also, it can be not an evil, but uh, a tool to promote loyalty in some um, cohorts of your customer base. It depends on how you choose to use it or how you are, how much you are strategic in deploying it rather than being, you know, just something that you use to move the inventory around. And, uh, Clearly, you do not create loyalty through discounting, and that must be clear, but it can be one of the levers you use to generate that long-lasting relationship with a customer that comes back to you every season, and you do not really need to worry that a certain level of discounting will change your perception of you. That's a conversation that we have a lot here at Edited is about being surgical with your approach to discounting. And as you said, really being strategic and where you're placing those discounts and to ensure that you're kind of encouraging profitability amongst your customer base as well. So I want to make sure that we have time to wrap up and summarize your takeaways and action points as well for luxury brands, as I know that that was such a key piece to this research. So what would you say are the main takeaways for brands and luxury brands in particular to consider when navigating these uncertain times? First, brands should prioritize agility in their product offer and collection within legitimacy boundaries of their DNA. It's important for brands to be receptive to consumer needs. And to do that, brands should both develop necessary capabilities to understand trends in the fastest way possible while also shortening lead times in the action. Second, in terms of pricing, brands can continue stretching the offer to tailor ultra-networked individuals, but they should thread very carefully with pricing in order to avoid excluding customers from their world. And brands should leverage a high-low pricing strategy to continue widening the customer base with a high creativity at the base as well. And in pricing, response time to market dynamics and pricing observatory are also extremely important. And third, and last but not least, it's important for brands to put in place a system of check and balance across ecosystems where actions are monitored in a panoramic view, but where each channel takes specific actions in a customized way. And furthermore, a good demand planning system become more and more crucial to reduce discount and manages the issues upstream. So very, very relevant uh, pillars uh, and also watch outs for luxury brands going forward. Absolutely. I feel like that was super clear and, and super insightful. One thing that I always ask everyone that comes on this podcast is what is the one thing that you would like them to take away from this recording? I think that the main takeaway for us is that uh, there, uh, the agility and the speed in which you answer the demand uh, that you see in the market can, ma- can make the difference. No? It can make the difference if you are able to understand uh, the local consumer needs. It can make the difference if you're not moving on pricing as effectively as you should be or you could be. And um, it can make the difference if you realize that uh, the way your collection is presented on the overall market uh, is not the way you intended to be present. And so at the end of the day, it gives you the agility to act and the agility to do something about it. 
and I will be complementary to what uh, to what Carlo said as uh, fashion is the most uh, both brain sector that we have out there in in business so Carlo has been very left brain and rational I will be very right brain and uh, always remember to brands that they need to innovate and they need to put their creativity at the center and ahead to create an added value product that can really be at the forefront of uh, of the cultural innovation of this industry. Of course, together with the agility and all the enablers to keep on the machine and keep on the business, but these two pillars need to go hand in hand to really continue to have luxury as uh, a cultural business uh, rather than just a business. Exactly. Investing in the tools to do the heavy lifting from the business side, but then enable your team to have the creativity and leverage that right side of their brain. But thank you both so much for coming on today. We have really appreciated having the time to discuss with you here at Edited. Thank you very much again. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Grace. Thank you for listening to our latest episode of the Edited Inside Retail podcast. And a huge thanks to today's guests, Frederica Lovato and Carlo Moltrazio from Bain & Company. I'm Grace Hill, and I'll see you next time. Goodbye.